Hello and welcome to the Nurse and Midwife Support Podcast. Your health matters. I'm Mark Aiken, the podcast host for today. I'm the Stakeholder Engagement Manager with Nurse and Midwife Support, and I'm a registered nurse. Nurse and Midwife Support is the national support service for nurses, midwives and students. The service is anonymous, confidential and free, and you can call us anytime about any issue you need support for. 1-800-667-877 or contact us via the website nmsupport.org.au. My guest today is Dr. Sarah Russell. Sarah is going to talk about the book that she wrote, A Lifelong Journey, Staying Well with Manic Depression, Bipolar Disorder. Sarah's got a great story to tell, and it's an important story about living well and working well with a mental illness. Welcome and hello, Sarah. Hi, Mark. Sarah, would you tell our listeners about yourself and why you decided to write this book? Well, I am... I was an 18-year-old at university and just really looking forward to being a, a doctor, in fact. And I became unwell after a hockey trip, actually, an intervarsity hockey trip. I think I had been becoming unwell over a period of about three weeks, getting very enthusiastic, very energetic. It was terrific for the intervarsity hockey trip. I ran very fast. I partied very hard. But when I came home, my mother noticed that I was a little bit different. And I think because of her own family history with having siblings with what was called manic depression in those days, um, it's now called bipolar disorder, my mother noticed that I was fast and I think her antenna went up a little bit. And one night, and I remember this night very well, I stayed up all night writing an essay. And I, you can tell if you look at my notes that I became... I moved from being what's called hypomanic to becoming psychotically manic. And my mother was incredibly quick to get me treated and diagnosed. Unfortunately, I did spend some time in um, hospital um, and I was mortified. I was absolutely mortified to have a mental illness. Um, so soon after that, or maybe six months after that, my mum organised for me to start training as a nurse. And it was probably one of the best things that she could have done for me because I absolutely loved being a nurse. So that's how I got into nursing, was a very roundabout way. But um, yes, that's, how, that's what happened to me. And I found myself a, a student nurse at the Royal Melbourne Hospital um, in 1982. So this all happened in the late 70s, early 80s, Sarah, when you've had your first yeah, episode? Yeah, early 80s. Yeah, and were there any signs before that? Were there any? Probably incidents? looking back, in hindsight, yes. But I won't go into all those details. But yes, probably like many people, my signs of illness probably began when I was about 16, maybe. But looking back in hindsight. But, you know, manic depression, bipolar disorder is a very easy illness to diagnose if you have bipolar one which i have and you have a psychotic episode which i had 
and you have a parent who is very attuned to the to the illness. I think it's because of my mother that I got diagnosed correctly. And with mental illness, some people don't get diagnosed correctly for a very long time. So I was one of the lucky ones. I was diagnosed correctly and I was treated properly from the very beginning. And your mother's also a nurse, Sarah. My mum's a nurse and one of the things that I credit to my mum is she treated this illness like it was any other illness. She didn't make a fuss about it. This was an era when mental illness was shrouded in secrecy and shame. My mother was not ashamed and she taught me not to be ashamed. I really connected with that in your book, actually, the um, importance of having the support of your mother and her working with you to understand this illness and to manage it. Would you say that's oh, key? Oh, absolutely key. I mean, as I'm sure your listeners will know, no 18-year-old wants a lifelong illness that can't be cured. It can be treated, but it can't be cured. It's a devastating diagnosis, and it was for me. And with her support, I learned to accept it, it took me some time. It didn't happen overnight, the acceptance of having a, a mental illness. I um, and also I had a doctor at the time who, and I think this was perhaps the um, thinking at the time, after a couple of years of having the illness, he took me off lithium. Lithium was the treatment, which worked very well for me. He took me off lithium um, after having it for two years and very quickly I became unwell again. I had a psychotic catatonic depression which, to be perfectly frank, I don't remember, but my friends and my partner at the time certainly remember. I just could not move. I was catatonic. Yes. Um, so I'm not sure if that was a mistake to take me off lithium or not, but certainly without the lithium, I became very unwell. It was very easy during my nursing training to, to just take time off because I became unwell at home. And I was just sick for three weeks, basically. Um, no one knew why. Um, uh, so that, and that happened twice. He took me off the lithium twice during that three-year nursing training period. I think to test whether I really had the illness or not. Yes. I'm not sure. But both times I was off lithium, I became unwell very quickly. And yeah, and that really goes to the importance of what you see as a key component of, of staying well with the mental illness is medication. And we might talk about that a bit later, okay. if that's okay. Um, you talk about your first episode of illness and how it felt to be diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And at that stage, you weren't a nurse, so you didn't have the knowledge that you later had from your, your nursing. Can you talk a bit more about how that felt as a young person? Oh, it was devastating. Yes. And, and as you say, I didn't have any information. Um, I only had the support of a, of a parent. Later, um, and I can just fast forward now to later, when I am now an ICU nurse and working, in fact, with Mark, with you, um, yes, we should um, disclose um, this to our listeners, yes. that as many of our listeners know who listen to this podcast regularly, I have a lot of colleagues on who are uh, I've worked with previously, and I'm very privileged to say that Sarah and I have been friends for over 25 years, and um, we did work together previously at the Royal Melbourne Hospital. Yes, so um, so Mark's aware of what happened to me. I um, I was an ICU nurse for, quite some, for some time, and then I went back to uni to do just a, a normal arts degree. Um, and 
I loved it and I then went on and did a master's and a PhD. So during my PhD I was um, partnered uh, and we decided we wanted to have a baby and you can't take lithium and um, and be pregnant. So I went to my doctor who I didn't see very often. In fact, I hardly saw him at all at that stage because I was managing this illness with medi just with medication quite well. Um, and I went off lithium. Now he made a mistake. He should have asked to see me again because if he had seen me, he would have six weeks after being off lithium, I was hypermanic. Um, but he didn't ask to see me again. So that was a, a, an issue that he later apologised for. But at the time, uh, I was hypermanic and my relationship fell apart. And just fast forward a little bit now, and I, be, I did have another psychotic episode. Um, and it was a devastating episode because the university did not handle it well. Um, it's all written in some of, in my blogs and in my book. Um, it didn't, oh, not in my book so much, but in I certainly talk about this. That the university did not handle my illness well. In fact, I had to take them to the Human Rights and Equal Opportunity Commission. That's not so important for this uh, podcast, but what I did notice is my nursing friends supported me very well because I was still working part-time. Mark and some others, they used humour. They, we man we, we got, they helped me to get through this devastating time when the university did not handle it well. And, um, and that was the moment in my life. I was 34, I was a, a, you know, an ICU nurse, and I thought, I am never getting sick again. And I went and learnt so much about this illness, and I developed what I call a stay well plan that has kept me well now for 24, going on 25 years. And I think with this insight I now have to the illness, and also with the support of friends like Mark, I, I have a stay well committee um, that helped to keep me well. and. I think I can help other people to stay well with, with the insight that I now have. And I think you've certainly done that, Sarah, from um, being what I um, see as an advocate for people with mental illness, but also choosing to tell your story about your journey with mental illness. Was that difficult to make that decision to tell your story? Well, it wasn't difficult for me because the university supervisor told everybody in my department that I had bipolar disorder and it spread like wildfire through the university. So I really had no choice of that. But once that had happened, I decided to embrace it and just speak openly about it and positively about it because I have learned how to manage this illness and I have, so I do speak and I publish about it, I write opinion pieces about it and I tell people um, very um, I, I speak very openly about it. That doesn't mean that I advise everybody to do that. Some people, um, they need to make their own decision about whether, hopefully, no one will take that decision, make that decision for them, like it was made for me by someone else. But um, the decision about whether to speak openly about your mental illness is a very individual decision. Yes. It's like, yeah. do you want to talk about your endometriosis? Do you want to talk about your diabetes. People make their decisions about whether they keep their their medical history private or yes, not. Yes, yes, indeed. Yes. Yeah, and was that part of what led you to write the book? Well, no, writing the book was actually based on a research grant I got from Beyond Blue. Beyond Blue 
um, gave me a grant back in 2003 and I interviewed 100 people who stay well with this illness and the book is basically the story of all those people who stay well. I use their stories to give, to show that there are many different ways to stay well with a mental illness. There's not a one one fix fixes all approach. It certainly is not just about taking a tablet every day. Although my mood dis, my mood stabilizer is a central part of me staying well, it is certainly not the only part that keeps me well. Yeah, it's part of your self-care care plan for staying well with a mental illness. It is certainly an integral part. It's a not negotiable part. Yes. I think people wouldn't negotiate whether to take insulin or not for diabetes. If they don't, if they have type 1 diabetes, they don't decide whether or not will I take insulin or not. If you don't take insulin, you will die if you have type 1 diabetes. If you have bipolar disorder and you don't take a mood stabiliser, you are putting yourself at risk of having episodes of bipolar disorder. Um, so that to me is a not negotiable. But what I'm trying to also say is it is not the only thing that keeps me well. And I would say someone with diabetes is not the only thing that keeps them well. Probably not eating 16 pieces of chocolate cake will also keep them well. You know, well. So there are these long-term chronic illnesses, whether they be physical or mental, require thought and decisions about staying well. And yes. you have to make lifestyle decisions as well as medical decisions. Yes. And Sarah, you talk about um, bipolar as a mental illness. And I think in the last few years, I've really noticed people have started to sanitize it a bit more and talk about a mental health. And, and I wonder what your view is on that, whether we try and sanitize a mental illness to make it more palatable for people to understand or, or accept. I think that's a very good question, Mark. I, I personally think mental health is incredibly important for people. Our mental health to me is, and it's the same for someone with a mental illness, mental health is around managing your stress, it's managing your relationships, it's managing all the things in your life that can cause you to be, you know, um, your mental health to be compromised. But mental illness is something that only about two or three percent of the population have a mental illness. Uh, and these are in the DSM-5, they are, they are, or maybe it's a little bit higher than that. I, I think one of the things that I've been very critical of has been this push to say one in five people have a mental illness or a mental health disorder or a mental, I'm not quite sure what the language is. Yes, it changes. And, I, I and I've gone back and had a look at that study that actually started that. It's a complete myth. One in five people do not have a mental illness. But certainly one in five people might have mental health issues around all the things that I've just mentioned. And I've certainly written about this as well. But I think, I do think using the word mental health has softened it. And, and to be perfectly blunt, a mental illness, having an episode of mental illness is actually frightening for people around you. It is not, it shouldn't be sanitised because it isn't um, easy for friends to watch someone have an episode of schizophrenia, an episode of bipolar, whether it be manic or depression, is not easy to manage. And I don't think we should be sanitising that. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, and you said before that being 
supported by your colleagues who were nurses was really important to you. And I think that's what our service nurse and midwife support is all about. Supporting nurses, midwives and students who may need support for whatever issue occurs in their life. So do you think it's really important that people in the first instance reach out to a trusted friend or colleague to get support for a mental illness? Or would you advise them if they've got concerns about themselves or a colleague or a friend who's also a nurse or a midwife to call nurse and midwife support? It, this is again an individual choice, but the most important thing for me in reaching out for support has to has been knowing that the person I reach out to will be non-judgmental. Yes. And in my experience, um, many of my friends who are trained nurses have been incredibly non-judgmental about my illness. And maybe I just chose the right people um, to, to, to in, in whom to, to confide. Um, but that is the most important thing. I have actually noticed when I tell people that I have bipolar, 99% take it so well. They just say, look, I've got bunions or, you know, they, they really just take it in, a, in an easy way. But there has been people who you instantly see that they have started to judge me for having that illness. And it's a really unpleasant thing to, to witness. You've, I've chosen, you know, so I think, in, and this is, if you can tell me that your service is going to accept people without judgment and they're going to be supportive and and give them the sort of uh, way to, to talk about their illness and their concerns and their, their current situation, I would certainly advise them to call your service. Thanks, but, Sarah. But that doesn't actually mean that they shouldn't also tell a colleague or a friend because that, that to do both sounds to me perfect. You know, you, you, you have the support of people who you're... I mean, one of the things with my Stay Well Committee that I established back in 1995 was that I, that certainly some of the people on my committee are people I see regularly. Yes. So if there is a change in my behaviour, and I've had some stressful things happen in the last 10 years, and there has been shifts in my behaviour during those periods, and it's been wonderful to have someone to say, Sarah are you okay? Because I'm not okay. That actually means they think I'm not okay. Yes. And that's been fabulous. Um, one of the things with mental illness is when you are getting sick or having an episode, you lose insight very quickly. Yes. And that may mean if you've progressed, your illness has progressed a little bit, you may not have the insight to call your service. You, but your friends may see that your, your behaviour has changed. So my advice is to have both, really. Have the service uh, where you can, you know, um, reach out to, get advice from, talk to, get support from. It's terribly important because the thing that we forget, I think, is how stressful nursing can be. It's a stressful job. And... Um, and it may only be one shift that something happened that really upset you or that upsets you. To have your service is wonderful. To, to be able to ring up and say, look, I have bipolar disorder. I have clinical depression. I have schizophrenia. I'm working well at, my, at the moment, but this has really upset me. And I can note, I need someone to talk to about this. I think your service is wonderful. Yeah, before the person escalates yes. into a, a place that is unsafe for them or not optimal. 
Thanks, Sarah. If anyone needs to call the service, a reminder that you can call us on 1800 667 877 or contact us via the website nmsupport.org.au. The service is anonymous, confidential and free and you can call us 24-7 from anywhere in Australia. Sarah, you mentioned managing stress as part of your, your stay well plan and that nursing and indeed midwifery can be very stressful jobs. Um, and we're very interested in that as a service because in fact, many, many nurses and midwives call us about stress and that they feel that they've entered into unhealthy stress. I love your stay well plan and that concept. And I think every nurse and midwife should develop their own self-care care plan. We're really good at developing care plans for our patients. And so why wouldn't we develop a self-care care plan for ourselves? And indeed, if we had an illness like diabetes or like a mental illness, why wouldn't we all develop a stay well plan? So I think that's fantastic, Sarah. Can you talk about or provide some advice for nurses and midwives about how to manage stress? Well, stress, um, again, this is an individual thing. I mean, how you manage your stress. I mean, I know how I manage my stress, and that may be helpful for someone to uh, talk just briefly about that. But what I enjoy doing is different to what other people enjoy doing. So I, I find when I am escalating, and I, and I escalate when something stressful happens in my life, I can escalate. I'm more likely to go high than low. But if I'm going high, the first thing I notice is that that thing is in my head all the time. And I can't get it out of my head. So the most important thing for me is to go somewhere where I can disengage from computers, from television, from radio, from stimulus. And I go somewhere very quiet and because I'm a, I'm a reader, I like to read novels and things, I get myself a good book and I try to shift my thinking by absorbing myself in a good book. I go for walks, I, I, I try to eat very well, I, I take alcohol out of my diet completely. And um, the most, perhaps the most important thing that a health professional would say is also I make sure I sleep well. Now sometimes I need to increase my medication to sleep well. I have um, a, 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 not, not my mood stabilizer, I have another medication that I take when I need to sleep, if I'm not sleeping just naturally. So just as an example, Mark, if I wake up at three o'clock in the morning or you wake up at three o'clock in the morning thinking about work, which many people do, yes, you're not gonna get sick because you don't have a mental illness, whereas I might get sick. So if I wake up at three o'clock in the morning because I'm stressed about something, I immediately reach for a tablet. Yeah. Now, when I was younger, I felt that was a sign of weakness. Whereas now, I think I've got an illness. Every so, I need to. It's not a weakness. It's not a personality disorder. It's not. Uh, it's it's an illness that I need to manage. So I just take. If I wake up at three o'clock in the morning, I take something. Now, if I'm getting depressed, for me, exercise is very important. Yes. More exercise than usual is very important. So, you know, I, I've actually, it might sound funny because Mark knows me and I'm not very rule bound, but I have a very rule bound stay well plan. And if I feel, am I allowed to use the word, if I feel like shit yeah. on your podcast, if I feel like shit, I'm okay to sit on the couch and eat corn chips and drink beer for two days. You know, that's what how I respond to feeling shit maybe. Um, so, but on the third day, I am not 
allowed to sit on the couch and drink beer. I have to get on my bicycle and I have to go for a ride. I have to ride to work and I have to ride home. That is just a rule. So, so exercise is really important for me when I'm getting low. But look, there are other people who don't enjoy reading novels, who don't like riding their bike, who don't ride a bike. They have to find their own things that they enjoy. But the aim of managing stress is to somehow remove yourself from that stress. So in my, in my view, so somehow to get it out of your head. And people might find having a massage might help. They might find, many people find meditation helps. Yes, I do. That they find walking their dog helps. They find, so there are a whole list of things. When we ran a Stay Well program, you know, we actually had lots and lots of photos of different things that people might enjoy. And people had to pick five of those. And you find there's a whole range of things that people enjoy that helps them to take themselves away from the stress. Yeah, it's like we talk about a self-care toolkit and you choose from that toolkit what works for you and what works today may not work tomorrow, but there's other things you can use and you've listed some of those, Sarah. So the elements to staying well that I've um, identified with from your book and from your Stay Well um, Care Plan are taking control, understanding the illness, lifestyle awareness, insight, interventions, medication, social support, professional support are all key elements. Do you want to talk about any of those well, elements well, anymore? Well, one, one of the things I haven't mentioned is the importance of finding a good doctor. Yes. Now, in many cases, that might be a psychiatrist, um, but, you know, there's good and there's bad psychiatrists, or there's psychiatrists that you connect with better than others. And I happen to have, um, my first psychiatrist was a shocker, no question about it now, looking back. My second psychiatrist um, is fabulous. And I'll just give you one quick example. I found jet lag makes me escalate. Um, and I've worked that out. But the first before I had worked it out um, and how to manage that uh, myself, I came home from an overseas trip quite high. And I recognised it, so I made an appointment to see him. He's, he recognised it as well as soon as he saw me. And the question he asked me, is what do you think we should do? So it was a, a genuine partnership. Now I had just heard about this new drug, which um, and I just said, I think maybe I should take that for a week. What do you think? And he thinks, he said, I think that's a perfect idea. He, um, I want you to email me in the morning how you went the first night taking it. And I have to say after the first night taking it, I was fine. But I took it for the week as he had suggested and it was fine. But the, what should we do? So he's showing a willingness to work in partnership with me. He knows that I'm very well educated about this illness. He knows I've written a book. In fact, he's one of my biggest fans about the book. So that the doctor you work with, with has to be someone you like. Now, I don't see my psychiatrist now uh, very often, but I know that he's at the end of an email if I need him. I, I now work with my GP and you know blood tests regularly these sort of things but i feel very confident that if i need to go back to my psychiatrist i can go back in a in a in a, in a heartbeat and your psychiatrist is a key element of your stay well plan having a medical person uh, is a key element of my yes it, that's right but you know as i said i mean there are times early on where i needed to see him regularly yes and the thing that about my stay well plan is it's dynamic it changes as my life changes and I you know I now work for myself 
So I have, I don't work in a toxic workplace. Oh, no, I'm not saying nursing is a toxic workplace, but there are, I have worked in toxic oh, workplaces. Yes, yes. And I don't have that stress anymore. I'm much more, so so my, my stay well plan has to be um, for my contemporary circumstances. So you yeah. regularly review it, I evaluate do. it, change it, yep. add people in. Yep. And, yeah, and, my, and my stay well committee has to change because I, you know, I, I, I see different people more regularly depending mm. on my work probably. Because often it is, for me, my stay well plan has always had a one, at least one, work colleague on it. So that work colleague seeing me every day. Yes. Whereas now that I work for myself, it's a dog walker who I see every day. So that's one person on my stay well plan. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, Sarah. Your story of uh, staying well and living well and working well with a, a mental illness is a positive story for you. What about those people who continue to have episodes of illness despite following the advice of their doctors or despite their stay well plan? And this is not an uncommon story. There, some mental illnesses can be almost intractable in the sense that they can't find the right medication that works for them or at the right dose. Um, they have um, they they do all these things yet they still have regular episodes. My advice is keep trying because as we get older, we get wiser, we learn new things, um, and you just have to keep trying because it is an illness that is difficult for some people to manage. Not, not just my illness, bipolar disorder. Schizophrenia is a very difficult illness to learn to manage. Clinical depression can be a very difficult illness to learn to manage as well. So my advice, as you said, what is my advice? My advice is every episode of illness is an opportunity to learn more about your illness. And it's an opportunity to learn more about the triggers, what triggered your illness, what are your early warning signs of your illness. The thing I'd like to make the point is there are fact sheets about all these illnesses. And they say early warning signs. Well, every fact sheet I have seen, I would consider them to be very late signs, very late signs. I have early warning signs that happen a long time before those signs that are listed on fact sheets. And if people think deeply about their what was happening prior to their illness, they may start to learn what those signs are. And, and the earlier you intervene, the more likely you will stop an episode of illness. So, um, again, just going back to your service, if you're feeling slightly unwell, perhaps ring your service and just talk about you're feeling slightly unwell and they might recommend, right, take a couple of days off work and go and do what makes you, what you know will help you to feel back in control. Yeah. And taking two days off work is much, much, much preferable to having an episode of these illnesses because in my experience, they take about 12 months to recover from Yeah, an episode. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And that really goes to the issue that we hear from some nurses and midwives that they would never disclose to their workplace that they had a mental illness because they fear the stigma or they wouldn't be able to, to work. But in fact, um, nurses and midwives can work with a mental illness as long as it's managed and there's awareness and insight and so 
Do you think it's beneficial for people, Sarah, to discuss it with their manager so their manager knows what's going on for them and can be a support for them rather than the person to fear that they'll be stigmatised or outed like you were? You know, so it obviously is a real fear and, and then that, that situation becomes unsafe for them? Well, let's be clear. I was unwell in 1995 when that horrible thing happened at the university. I think as a community we are much better educated thanks to organisations like Beyond Blue and, and others that have helped try to decrease the stigma. Now, we also have much better anti-discrimination laws in place. So um, it would be against the law now to discriminate against you based on your mental illness. So if your mental illness is managed, you are well. And you it, can work. And you can work. These illnesses are episodic. They, you are not always unwell with a mental illness. So I would say to you today, Mark, I am, to use the word, which is unpleasant, but I'm normal today. I mean, I'm normal. I don't always talk with this sort of passion. This is me. Um, I'm normal. So it would be against the law for a manager to discriminate against you based on your mental illness if you are well. I would advise you to talk to your manager so they so they can... I mean, look, there are good managers and there are bad managers, and you know that. But a good manager is going to be understanding. Um, and, and I have, you know, as I said, I, I worked as a nurse through my, whilst doing my PhD, and I had a very good manager at the hospital that I worked. I only worked part-time. She knew I had a mental illness, and we worked with that. The problem for me in that, in that, at that time was that um, night duty was compulsory for everybody and she felt she couldn't make an exception for me, even though my exception would be I've got bipolar disorder and I had recognised that night duty is a trigger. Yes, It's not good for me to work night duty. So she found a way around that. So I could still work, but I didn't have to do night duty. But I did have to go casual on yes, staff. Yes. But that was the compromise. She didn't want me to be treated um, differently to the other permanent staff. She thought that would be unfair. So that was her decision and I accepted it yes. as, a, as, a, as a compromise. So in answer to your question, I think a good manager is going to be supportive and helpful. So when you do need to take those two or three days off to get well, She's going to be understanding of that. And it doesn't happen very often, hopefully. Um, for me, as I said, it's been 25 years since I've had to do that. But I have taken days off. Um, I, I have actually, I, I, call it, I've stopped, I call it stopping life. I've just had to stop life a couple of times yes. just to get myself back to being well. And I am um, hoping that with the new legislation changes, with the new awareness that other most managers will be good about that i hope yes i agree sir and i think i think that they will be if you're listening to this and you're struggling with this um decision making about who to tell and how to discuss it potentially with the manager feel free to call nurse and midwife support 
to discuss this and anything else that you may wish to discuss in relation to this issue or any other issue you need support for. Sarah, I can't believe we've got to the end of the podcast. Time flies when you're talking to a great guest like yourself. Thank you very much for sharing your story, your wisdom and your knowledge and your journey in relation to living and working well with a mental illness. Any final words of wisdom for our listeners? It's been a pleasure to, to talk and I, and I wish everybody um, luck with, with managing a mental illness because if you manage it well, you can have a full, productive and happy life. And, um, and that's the message I, I've been, been saying for the last few, you know, 25 years. We can have good lives and we can work well and we can be a, a valued member of our community. Thank you, Sarah. And if our listeners would like to read your book, A Lifelong Journey, Staying Well with Manic Depression, Bipolar Disorder, we'll put the link on our website, Sarah, for how they can access that book. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah. we, we talked about this before, that where they're going to perhaps get it through you and yes. I was going to give you copies to, yes. to send out to people. Can so. I just make one point? If you are suffering from clinical depression or schizophrenia, this book is very helpful for that for other illnesses as well because it does talk about stay well strategies and stay well plans and um, although it's specifically the examples in the book are bipolar disorder um, in fact a friend of mine with um, heart problem has read it and said it helped her with her heart problem to make up a stay well plan so it's 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 taking a positive approach to having a, a, a lifelong illness Indeed. And Sarah's written two blogs that will go, um, will be posted along with this podcast. So stay connected to our website and you can access those and more information about living and working well with a mental illness. Thanks very much and we'll speak to you next time. Thank you to Osmed for their generosity in making the editing of this podcast possible.